So in week three, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, is going to go on to say some more stuff about this huge, huge issue. And I just want to real briefly recap weeks one and two. In week one, Paul was just mad. I mean, there was no two ways about it. He wasn't just a little miffed. He was ticked off. He used very strong language saying, what are y'all doing? You are messing up. It's going to hurt you big time. And so he launches in to addressing this controversy, and here was the deal. These Jewish Christians came to these churches that were made up of non-Jews. They're called Gentiles. Everybody but Jews are Gentiles. You and me, unless you're Jewish, are all Gentiles, right? And so these Jewish Christians would come to these churches and say, hey, you Gentiles, we're glad you're in the kingdom, glad you know Jesus, but you've got to add our Jewish laws to what you do. You've got to do all this stuff. And it was messing people up. And when Paul heard about it, he was livid, and he wrote a letter to straighten them out. We talked about two brands of Christianity. The first brand is religion, and that's what the law does. These Jewish people were trying to bring their religious laws on top of these Gentile Christians. And in religion, it's about what I do. I just picture somebody like, I got to do this. But the real life-giving, true brand of Christianity that's based on a relationship with God, not religious activity, it's open-handed saying, Lord, I just received what you have for me, starting with the gift of Jesus and salvation. So relationship means I don't have to perform for God. He already loves me. And I don't have to do the right things to earn God's approval and make him like me. I want to do the right things. I want to do the right things to show God I appreciate him and I love him. And I'm thanking him with my life for loving me first and giving me Jesus and forgiveness of my sin. Uh, a little while back, my wife and I were in San Diego, California. My son pastors a church there, and my daughter, who had been living in Waco and teaching school there, moved out to San Diego this uh, early this summer to be part of what's going on out there. She's got a teaching job there in San Diego. And so Lori and I were there to visit. Well, my daughter, Rachel, had a room there in the house there with Joel and his family, and she wanted to make it hers, okay? And so she needed a dresser and a mirror and a shelf put up, and then she has a little half bathroom, and she needed a shelf in there, and Daddy got to do all kind of honeydews for daughter Rachel. But it was a joy. Lori and I had a lot of fun taking care of her. Well, we come back from that trip, and we get a thank you note from Rachel, and you and I have gotten thank you notes where it was just, hey, thanks for this, appreciate it, bye. This was like words, the pages of the card weren't enough for my daughter to express her thanks to us. And it was just sweet, sweet, because she was naturally just saying thanks for loving me and for helping me like you do. So that was week one. And guys, it was a hugely important message uh, we don't do this very often, but we urge you to go back and listen to week one, two weeks ago, if you weren't here, because it lays the critical foundation of what real Christianity is all about. Now, last week, we looked in week two at this tendency we have to swing back and forth, even though we know that this life-giving relationship with Jesus is the way to live the Christian life. Just our human nature, sometimes we swing back into, oh, but I got to do, I got to do, I got to make God happy, and I've got to be sure I do these things. And we get into this duty mentality. And so it's kind of like there's a vine and Tarzan swinging between the trees. Well, last week we talked about how we can do that. And the answer to that is to live what we call the crucified life, saying, Lord, it's not my life, it's your life through me. And it makes all the difference in the world of living in God's best for us. All right, so today, chapter 3, 
Paul is saying, now, guys, I want to be extra sure you got this because it is so huge. I want to be sure you got the, a hold of the simple message of relationship with God through his son. The Bible word for that is the gospel, the message of the relationship with God through his son. It literally means good news, okay? Now, remember, Paul's mad, okay, because you're going to see that right at the very beginning. Look what he says in Galatians chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Again, strong language. He's calling them foolish, immature, unwise. You didn't get that these people were putting something on you that isn't from God. You're acting foolishly. And he says, who's put this spell on you? It's, it, it's like somebody going, now nah, you're going to do wrong. You know, Paul's trying to get their imagination to help them realize how messed up they've become. And uh, the Bible word there literally uh, means to bring wickedness on somebody or to look at them in a really hateful way. And most of us have experienced this. Remember when mom or dad would catch our eye when we were leaning toward that cookie jar or something else, and they'd like, and that's all it took. We're like, whoa, whoa, okay, okay, I'm backing up. You know, that evil eye kind of got you. Well, that, that's what we're talking about. Paul's saying somebody has done that to you. And then he goes on. He says this. For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Did you enter a relationship with God by saying, I'm going to keep more laws? Of course not. You received the Spirit, you received Jesus into your life because you believed the message you heard about Christ, the gospel, the message. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Guys, you started great. You started just saying, it's all about you, God. I've put my trust in you. And, but, oh, I'm gonna, I need to do this other stuff, too. It just uh, kind of bogs you down. You know, when somebody looks down their nose at you and judges your behavior, here's what they're really saying. They're saying, my human effort is better than your human effort, and you need to step up. That's, that's what's going on. You get intimidated. They, oh, I, I need to do better. I, I need to do something more spiritual or something. But we want to be sure today to really understand the true life-giving, freedom-bringing gospel. So let me put the gospel message in a nutshell here. We have all blown it. Everybody has sinned. In the book of Romans, we read that all have sinned and fallen short of God. The word sin means miss the mark. Everybody has blown it. And you know, it only takes one sin to become a sinner. It only takes one murder to be a murderer, right? Well, it's the same thing for all of sin. It just takes one sin. And so that sin separates us from a holy God, and that sin demands payment and judgment. And all the world religions except Christianity say, well, then you've got to earn it. You've got to do something to make God forgive you. And every world religion boils down to trying to work. It boils down to law and legalism. But that's not what happens for us. Jesus has stepped into the courtroom of our lives and said, I'll pay the penalty. I'll pay the penalty of the sin. You talk about really, really good news. Uh, recently, uh, I was in a restaurant, Lori and I were eating, and I asked the waiter for the check, and he said, sir, your meal's been paid for. I thought, well, how nice, and yet it's kind of like a little uncomfortable, like, man, they didn't eat the food. I don't know who this is, 
but they paid for my check. Uh, okay, that's all good. <laughs> well, it's the same with Jesus. He stepped in and said, I'll pay the bill for their sin, God. I'll take the punishment for sin. You know, people think that God sends people to hell. No, that's not why he made hell. Hell is not a place that God sends the people that he's mad at. Hell is a place where people choose to go to pay for their own sins. And so your sin's going to get paid for. Like the old car commercial, the mechanic, pay me now or pay me later, you know? That's, that's how sin is. It's going to get paid for when we say yes to Jesus or for eternity in hell. That's what hell's about. Uh, from the Bible, we learn that uh, the hell was created for the devil and his angels. God never had people, wanted people to go to hell. All right, let's go on now. Paul's going to say some more things on this crucial subject. All who rely on observing the law, trying with human effort to do the right thing, observing the law, are under a curse. We're cursing ourselves when we try to keep the law because we can't, and so we're under that judgment. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything, not most, but everything written in the book of the law. You have to be perfect if you're going to try to be righteous before God by keeping the law. Here's one more verse from the New Testament that gives a little different angle on this point. From James chapter 2, we read, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. One murder, you're a murderer. So the law couldn't be obeyed. When God gave mankind the law, it was not to give them a chance to measure up and impress him. It was to show them you can't be perfect. You can't be holy like I am. And it still can't be obeyed today. There's not enough good deeds you could do to earn your way to heaven. A lot of people think this. They think here's the scales of life. And if I do 51% good and 49% bad, the scales will tip just a little, and God will say, okay, you're in. Come on in. It's a 51% thing, good versus bad. Oh, I'm a good person. Well, you're not good enough. <laughs> you got issues, and you, you need fixing, <laughs> to put it in Texan. So Paul goes on. He, he really wants him to get a hold of this. So he asks a really good question. He says, what then was the purpose of the law? If it was impossible to keep, what's the purpose of the law? Now we're going to see why God gave the law. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. The law leads us to Christ. The law leads us to Jesus. The Bible word here for guardians, a real cool word, it describes a Roman household, a richer Roman household where they have servants. And there was one particular servant whose assignment was to take the children to school every day. And so this servant would take them and make sure they got safely to school, and they'd go in the school, and this servant would sit there all day, and when they came out, his job was to get them home safely. So this servant wasn't their teacher. He led them to the teacher. And so God's law helps us come to Christ by when we realize, I can't keep this law. It brings us to Christ, just like that servant did with those kids. Guys, Christianity does not ask you to do right. Not initially. The first thing is not doing right. Christianity wants to make you right. Christianity wants to change you. 
Christianity wants to give you a new life. We learn from the Bible that spiritually we are dead. We're not alive until we come to Christ and come alive. One of my favorite Bible verses is the next one here in our notes. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You are new in the deepest part of you, the spirit that's created to be eternal. You've been made alive. You are a new creation now. And so this new person on the inside affects the person on the outside. And so my outward behavior changes because there's already been an inward behavior. When people come to be baptized, we tell them this. We say, baptism is an outward picture of an inward reality. You already have a relationship with God. That's already going on inward in you. And so baptism publicly says, I identify with Jesus. I'm giving my life for him. It's an outward demonstration of an inward reality. Well, that's the Christian life. That's where I quote, doing matters. We're not doing right because we're trying to do our duty or live up to it. It's because it's becoming more and more who I am that I quote, do right. So this whole thing about Christianity in terms of what God has done for us and what he wants for us is summed up in the great Bible word, grace. Grace. We sang about it this morning. It was great. God wants us to experience his grace in our lives, the life of Jesus in us, like we talked about last week. You probably have heard the hymn, Amazing Grace. Well, I want to just take a moment. I just want us to celebrate how amazing grace is today. And so I've got a few things here about it in an acrostic, G-R-A-C-E. We're going to look at grace in that approach. Number one, grace is a free gift. G is for gift. Grace is a gift. You can't earn it. If you're a, <clears throat> a little more mature and seasoned like, like some of us here, you'll remember this commercial. And if you're under not that old, really, you, you probably won't. But there's an old commercial about an investment firm called Smith Barney. Nobody's not. I'm so old. Anyway, the, the commercial had an old guy leaning in saying, Smith Barney earns money the old-fashioned way. We, a couple of you knew it, yes. <laughs> we earn it. Well, grace is not earned. It's the free gift of Jesus. He paid for your sin and for mine. And I want to take us for just a moment to the crucifixion scene. Here's Jesus on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, and he talks. And one of the things Jesus says is, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I want, to, want you to put yourself in heaven and put yourself on God's throne in his place. And your perfect, beautiful son is suffering and is saying, why have you forsaken me? I can just imagine the heart of God saying, I'm not going to forsake you. Here I come. We'll figure out another way. No way. You're just not going to suffer anymore. And he's leaning down from heaven. And then God stops and he hesitates and he goes, yeah, but what about Ed Webbin? He's going to die in his sin. And he thinks, what about the rest of you and all the world? And so he sighs and leans back and he's going to watch his son suffer this horrible, horrible death to its terrible conclusion. 
for you and me. That's the price of the gift of God. This grace that we receive so freely like we sang about it, well, it's come through the price of Jesus dying on the cross. And we don't just get forgiveness for our sin. We get his life now in us. So grace is the amazing gift of the life of God that comes into us. Look at this Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 23 verse. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want us to do something. I want us just to celebrate and tell God thanks for grace. Thanks for the gift of Jesus. Just clap with me and tell him thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for grace today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks a lot. Number two, grace is received by faith. R is for received. It's real important to get this distinction. Faith is not a belief system. It's a trust system. Faith is not believing these facts about Jesus. Faith is putting my trust in Jesus. A very important distinction. So Christianity is not so much a belief system as a trust system. How we can have a trusting relationship with our Father God. In Ephesians, look what we can read in chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved. There it is, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You know, some folks are like, you know, I'm not really sure if I'm, you know, if I'm in God's family, if I'm really all in. Well, you know what? Grace takes place when you step over that line of trust. I'm putting my trust in God. I'm saying, God, I trust you with my life. It goes beyond the intellect. It's the heart and trusting. Number three, grace is available for everyone. A is for available. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who says, God, help me. I need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. Everybody who says, God, take my life. I give you my life. Come, be the boss. Come, Lord, into my life. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Guys, there's room for everyone at the foot of the cross. And I want to say today, there's room for everyone at Ignite Church. Everyone is welcome to come and to worship God here with us. Everyone. Now, you might think, well, Ed, <laughs> if you knew me, I'm just barely here today. Um, I feel so self-conscious. I'm so messed up. I've got issues, maybe addictions. And, and some of the people in this small town, some of the people here know about it. Man, I'm just, ugh. I got news for you. You're at the right place. Because we, all of us are a bunch of folks who've got issues and problems, and Jesus is just working on us to fix us. Everybody is a work in process. Nobody is perfect at Ignite Church. If you happen to be the exception, if you are perfect, please leave. You're making the rest of us feel really, really bad about our issues because there really are no perfect people. There really aren't. And there's room for everyone at the foot of the cross. There's room for everyone at Ignite Church. Number four, grace comes only through, C is for Christ. The only way to receive the grace of God is through Christ. Look what Jesus said, one of the boldest things he said. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I'm the only way. 
You might think, well, Ed, what about, you know, folks around the world who grow up in other world religions and never hear about Jesus? Well, that's not fair that, that they don't get to have a relationship with God and only people who hear about Jesus do. Well, I, I want to suggest another way to look at it. I want to suggest you consider that God is bigger than all world religions in the world put together. He can reach people no matter what their context is. If you'd like to look into this a little bit, Google these few words. Muslim convert Christianity. Just those three words. And you'll read story after story of how God reached out to a Muslim, and he just started wanting to read the Bible instead of the Koran. And as he read it, he read about Jesus, and God spoke to his heart, and he got saved with nobody helping them. Just God in the Bible. And there's other stories where God did supernatural things. And they wrote about, I just had this dream, and God was saying, Jesus is my son. He is the way. And I woke up, and I started to ask God, was that you? And I started to pray, because I'd always heard Jesus was just a good man, not the God man. And this person eventually comes to Christ. So he is bigger than all world religions. Jesus is the only way to the Father. He's the only one who came to fix my problem. And your problem, all the other world religions, again, are trying to earn their way to heaven. Only Jesus said, you can't do it. I've got to pay for your sin. And he did. So one through four, G is for gift, R is for received, A is for available. Is that right? <laughs> I thought I'm going to put myself under pressure here. Yep, available for everyone. And C is for Christ. What's E for? Number five, grace is extended throughout eternity. Guys, I want you... I want this thought just to settle on you for a moment. If you're in Christ, all of your sin, past, present, and future, is forgiven. Jesus paid for it all. And at the end of your life on earth, when you begin eternal life with God in heaven, you will still be forgiven. And for eternity, you'll be forgiven. God won't, after a million years, say, you know what, Ed, I'm tired of you. Forget it. You go to hell. No, no. You are eternally forgiven, eternally his child. Maybe the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3, 16. Let me read it. For God so loved the world. I'm sorry, this is just getting to me today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, eternal life, eternally forgiven. So one more verse to say, okay, how's this grace work? You know, what's it actually look like tomorrow morning when I go to work? Let's, let's get real, so to speak. Well, the Apostle Paul also wrote some letters to individuals in the New Testament, a couple preachers that he was mentoring. He wrote them letters, Timothy and Titus, two different guys who are pastors. And this is from his letter to the pastor Titus. Look at what he says about grace. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace teaches us, and we learn to act different. We learn to let that inner life we have now that I'm a new creation. We learn by his teaching how to let it change my life. So, what's the final result of grace? You know you're walking in grace when what you ought to do becomes what you want to do. What you ought to do becomes what you want to do. 
And you're not duty conscious, you're wanting to do things. If we follow this relationship brand of Christianity, we have life. Grace teaches us how to live. Church is not a drag. We want to do things. We want to find our purpose that God's created us for. We want to find our place in the world under God's hand, so to speak. Now, guys, I just want to ask you a real honest question today. Just think about this question. If your life as a Christian is all about duty, you're not living in grace. So do you really want to be here today? You could be here for one of many reasons. Two could be, well, I should go to church. That's kind of a duty thing, isn't it? Or I want to be there. I want to be there. One of the only drawbacks about being off on vacation like I was for a little while is that I, I miss church. I miss you guys. I might go somewhere else and it's all good, but I, I miss being here worshiping with you. God's changed my heart. When I was a kid growing up, oh, church was boring. Oh, my gosh. And I, my mom had her arm down the, the top of the pew, you know, and she'd flick my ear every now and then. I'd wake up, you know. Not anymore. You don't have to flick my ear in church anymore. I want to be here. And if you're living in grace, so do you. You want to do the right thing. So I encourage you, just do some real serious thinking and praying. Say, God, am I doing anything for you because I want to? It's a great question. Now, you might be here today and you realize, you know, Ed, I, I don't have a relationship with God. I've never gone all in with him. But, man, I want to. I, I can tell today I, I get it. I get that God loves me and wants me to have forgiveness and wants to be the God of my life. I'm, I'm ready. Well, if God's got you there and you're ready, today's your day. And what I'm going to do is that I'm going to pray a simple, slow, phrase-by-phrase prayer like I'm you. And as I pray it, if this is your time today, you pray in your heart to God and it'll happen. Your grace relationship with God can start today. You don't have to even think the exact words I'm saying. Just your own words are fine because what matters is right here, the heart. Okay? So let, let me lead you in a prayer. Let's all bow. And these are the phrases you could use to start a relationship with God. God, I need you. I get it. I get that I need forgiveness for my sin. I get that I need you to come into my life. I get it, Lord, that I need to put my trust in you. And so, Lord, today, with all that I am, that all that I think you're putting in my heart, I say yes. I put my trust in you. Lord, I, I step across that line of faith to begin the grace relationship with you. So, Lord, please forgive me of my sin. Please come into my life. Forgive me. And, Lord, I believe you hear my prayer. And so, Lord, I'm going to say thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for becoming my God, my forgiver, my best friend. Lord, help me now to grow. Help me to change under your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that in your heart to God, this is your day, I want to ask you to do something real important. We have another card in those uh, chair backs in front of you there that one of them says, I have decided. And that's a card for you to put on your name and email, phone, I think. And we just want to follow up and say, hey, great decision. We want to encourage you in that. And so fill out that card and drop it in one of the blue boxes near the doors as you go out, okay? And we will follow up with you right away. All right, y'all stand. Let's pray. After I pray, as always, we'll have people up here.
at the stage to pray for you for any need you have. I encourage you to uh, come up and get prayer. And also, guests, if you would please take that completed Connect card out to the cart, we want to give you that gift, okay? And Friday night at what time? Perfect. Seven o'clock Friday night. We're going to have fun. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved us. Because we once were blind, but now we see. Thank you, Lord. We once were lost, but now we're found. So we just rejoice in the grace of God today. Thank you for being in our lives. Lord, this week, help us to, to think just real honestly about the big question of the day. Why do I do what I do? Do I want to do things for God? Lord, show us where we are. Help us know you're not going to beat us up, but you want to help us move forward. So speak to your people this week. Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.